Hey everyone, it's Dave Hagen. Do you have an emergency fund? Hmm, today we'll talk about how to do it, how to set it up, what's it supposed to be used for. That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to the financial success. Here is your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagan. Hey, thanks, Nick. Now, as many of you know, several weeks ago, I laid out my five steps to financial freedom. And you've probably heard them too many times already, but I want to say it again. Repetition breeds knowledge. For those of you that didn't hear, the five steps are one, get rid of the cards, two, know your flow, three, eliminate debt immediately, four, create an emergency fund, and five, put 15% into retirement. So today we're talking about step number four, creating an emergency fund. Now, first of all, congratulations. If you've made it this far, chances are you've already completed the first three steps. This means that you have a very clear idea of what you're spending. You've torn up your credit cards and you've eliminated your debt. But now it's time. Now it's time to create an emergency fund. Did you know that a recent survey sponsored by Bankrate.com found that 61% of the respondents indicated that they would need to borrow $1,000 for an emergency as opposed to using money set aside in their savings? Also, a recent survey done by the Federal Reserve indicated that 44% of Americans couldn't cover a $400 emergency expense out of their pocket. This was front page news not more than six months ago. This means that many, way too many people are living paycheck to paycheck in the United States. Now, the best way to protect against becoming one of these many, many Americans is to create an emergency fund. Now, what's an emergency fund for? Well, it's for an unexpected car repair, an appliance replacement, uh, a medical emergency, an auto accident, something like that. It's not to be used to put a down payment on a car or a house or to take a trip. Those aren't emergencies. This fund should only be used truly for an emergency, something unforeseen, something that's got to be dealt with right away, something that can get you back to living your life. How much should a person have in their emergency fund? I recommend six months of living expenses. Now, bear in mind, this is not income but rather living expenses. This should be a smaller number than income, right? This is what people usually call their nut, their monthly nut. You should be able to cover that nut for six months with your emergency fund. Now, some people think that you should only hold back two months of living expenses in your emergency fund. I prefer six. This is why I put this step further along in the financial plan, probably further along than most do. I think six months is necessary because, for example, if you lose a job, it seems like it takes about six months to find a really good job. If you can't wait, you'll need to jump at the first job that comes along. Rather, you can hold out a little longer to find something that's really meaningful and better paying to you. You see how all these elements fit together? If you have an emergency fund, you put yourself in a better position to get a better job 
so that you can have the chance to really become the personal master of your money. Where do you get this emergency fund from? It doesn't matter. You can sell an asset or you can do something else. However, if you've just finished the last step and you've paid off your credit cards, you now have some available money every month to use to fund your emergency fund. This is the money that you were using previously to pay down debt. I would use this money in most cases. Now, where do you keep this emergency fund? You should keep it in the bank in a separate account. You don't want to keep this in your main account. It's just too easy for it to get lost or spent. Don't necessarily put it in an investment account where you can lose your principal. Rather, put it in a savings account where you get a minuscule amount of interest every month. You can't take losses on your emergency fund in an investment account. Make sure your account's liquid. When you need to use your emergency account, it's for an emergency. This means you need the money right now. This is the reason why you want to keep it in a very liquid type of an account. If you have to wait three or four days for the funds to clear, it's not really an emergency fund. It's something that you really need to be able to access on a moment's notice. A nice way to keep your emergency fund out of sight, out of mind, is not to even open the statement when it comes. Look at the statement about once a year to make sure the bank's not ripping you off. But other than this, don't even open the envelope. Don't even consider it money that you have. This is money that you're only going to go to when there's an extreme emergency and you want to be able to get your hands on it quickly. Now, what are you going to do if you don't have an emergency fund and you have an emergency? Well, the first thing that you're going to do is go put the money on a credit card, use a credit card. But you just got through taking care of that problem. And I'd hate to see you go back to the old ways. I'd so much rather see you have an emergency fund so that you can pay for it cash right away. I remember back in the day, my car needed a muffler and we were going away for the weekend and I drove it into a place. And the guy says, well, you need uh, not only one muffler, but you need two. I didn't even know my car had two mufflers, for goodness sakes. And I told the guy, I don't have $800 for two mufflers. And I'm leaving town tonight. And I shouldn't have said that because he, he knew that I had an, a, an urgent need. And he said, well, you know what? Let's do this. We have a credit card that we can use and you can apply. And that way you can pay for it and you can go on your way. And I almost went for it. But I didn't want to borrow 800 bucks. So you know what I did? I said, let's fix one of the mufflers and the other one will wrap a piece of uh, metal around. And it's just going to have to make do while we're going away for this weekend. But this is the way that people sell you on these goods and services that sometimes can be put off, sometimes that aren't truly emergency. And not only do they make the money on replacing the mufflers, but a lot of times they'll get a piece of the action for selling you on the credit account. So don't, don't fall into that. Somebody's trying to get you to do something by opening up a credit account. I tell people, look, just walk away. Just walk away. You're not going to play that game anymore. You're now smarter than the average Joe or Jane out there, and you're not going to play that game. You're not going to be part of that trillion dollars in debt that's accruing interest at 17.5%. All right, that's just a short one this week. Let's leave some time for some more interesting emails, and we'll go from there. This is Dave Hagan, and you're listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on the road to financial success. If you'd like Dave to answer any of your questions, email them to dave at davidrhagan.com. 
If you like the podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast by hitting the subscribe button in your app. You will automatically get a reminder each time Dave uploads a new episode. Or you can use the app to share this episode with your friends and family. Let's listen in now as Dave answers some emails. All right, my favorite part, emails. Nick, what do you got for us? Now, Dave, before emails, I actually had a quick question on the emergency fund. So I'm actually pretty good about paying off my credit card, and I have a 0% balance. I, I have no charge outstanding charges. Um, would it be that bad if I kept my credit card as my emergency fund? Well, you know, Nick, I think that with a lot of these things, there's no absolute. Um, I'm absolutely positively for having no debt carried month to month. I'm absolutely positive about having a, an appropriate amount of transportation expense in relationship to income. Some of these things I'm, I'm very, very certain about. Some things I could give or take. Now, if you don't have any balance on the credit card, and it's not a credit card at a company where they're going to charge you necessarily higher interest, and your credit's good, and your credit or your interest rate is good, um, do you want to not have an emergency fund and use the credit card? I guess you could. I guess you, I don't think that that's that crazy bad. You know, $1,200 a month for a car payment, that's, that's bad. But I don't think that, uh, uh, you know, if you got a credit card, that would be okay. But instead of taking that money, this excess money or money that you would otherwise put into an emergency fund, use that to start some retirement savings or start to put that in the bank for some, some long-term goal, some lifestyle goal that you want to proceed um, or pursue. But um, not necessarily. I mean, I, I could live with that. I do like the emergency fund better. But if not, okay, I could live with that. But also, I was just thinking, you know, let's just say I only had a $2,000 limit and I had $3,000 in my emergency fund. I have more money that's liquid in comparison to how much I can spend on my credit card. Well, that's true. That's true. And and I'm a big proponent of if someone's got a credit card, a, a low limit, you know, um, I, I had a credit card. I have a credit card. I'm golly, what it's well, like. I hope I hope you do. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, the limit's like uh, thirty five thousand dollars. God help me, if you borrow money at at that interest rate on thirty five thousand dollars, that's craziness. But they they sent it to me, and I was worried that if I told them to reduce the amount, that it might affect my credit. And I'm in the the, the latter part of my my financial years, and I'm trying to make sure that the credit rating is is good as we start looking towards retirement, and that kind of stuff. But um, golly, um, not a bad idea. Not a bad idea if, if the interest rate's not too bad. Yeah. All right. Email. What do you got? Well, thanks for the advice, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Um, so I have one from Marge. It says, Dave, I love your advice on five steps to financial success, but it is so hard to do. Do you have any help for me? Also, I'm confused about my transportation needs. Is it better to keep an older car knowing that I have to pay for repairs or should I get a new car that will have payments and that's also on warranty? Please advise, Marge. Hmm, Marge. Hmm. Let's talk about the, uh, the the steps or getting rid of the debt or saving money being hard. Um, it is it is hard. It's, it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would do it. We wouldn't have these chronic problems in American society. Um, it is hard. It takes some practice. You've got to create a habit. Um, that's not that hard. But if you can force yourself to do it, you're going to be so much better off than, than everybody else. You know, If it was easy, everyone would do it. But it's not. 
we look at the TV and we listen to the radio and what have you, and there's all these commercial messages, people wanting us to spend, using sophisticated messages to get us to spend and put us emotionally in a position where we want to spend. That part of it's hard. That's part of it's hard. But I think it's worth pursuing that hard time to get to where you want to be. Because once you're where you want to be and you've got some money in the bank and the interest rates accruing to your benefit, life is good. Life is good. Rather than not having enough money to go around, wouldn't it be far better to say, look, I can afford just about whatever I want. And yet there's a lot of things I choose not to want or choose not to pursue. So that's what I would think about. Think about the big picture and and how difficult it was to get there and and how nice it is to be where you're at. And um, like I said, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Now, transportation costs. Do you keep your older car and pay the repairs, or do you get a newer car under warranty and not have to worry about the repairs? Of course, then you're paying a, a car payment. I mean, this question is a, a question that's you know goes back as long as we've had transportation. It's a tough decision to make. I think what you've got to do is look at the last couple of years in repairs and hold that up against what a potential payment would cost um, on the car. Remember that transportation should be about mm, 20% of your take-home pay, and that includes the payment and the insurance and the gas and the repairs and the, and the tags. And um, you want to keep within that, that 20% goal if you can. Hard to do in Southern California because everyone's driving around these big fancy cars, you know, talking about their latest uh, movie script and whatever. But um, I think that that's a, you know, a very, very worthy goal to, to try and pursue. So I'd set up a spreadsheet and, and lay it out and take a look at it and make a, a value decision. You know, I, I think another thing to consider is if you have a lot of repairs that need to be done, even if they're not that much, you might want to think about a newer vehicle anyway because there's a security issue. You know, out here in L.A., we got freeways all over the place, every place, and it's pretty hectic when you break down, even if you can get to the side of the road. And I'd like for people to, to be safe. So, that I mean, that's something to consider too. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about so much about driving an older car. That's not the issue. Um, if you want to drive an older car, find one that's reliable, that's like um, – Oh, something that's got some style. Like, remember that um, the female lead in the movie Top Gun? What was her What was her call sign? Charlie, I think it was. It was Kelly McGillis, I think. And in the movie, she drove around a, a Carmen Ghia, an older Carmen Ghia. It was in pretty good shape. Now, a Carmen Ghia is like there's a lot of Volkswagen going on in a Carmen Ghia in terms of the guts. Pretty reliable car. And I thought that was a pretty stylish car for someone like that to be driving around San Diego. So something to think about. Some kind of car that's got a little bit of style, that's still reliable, doesn't have to be brand new. That's what I would do. I hope that helps. Another question. Yeah, so we have one from Kevin. It says, hey, Dave, my wife and I just got married. We both are starting new jobs and will probably make about 60 grand per year between the two of us. Her parents said that we can live in the downstairs bedroom for a while to save money. Do you think that this is a good idea? Hmm. Well, certainly a great way to save some money. Certainly a great way to, you know, get some money under your belt, if you will, while you're first married. Certainly a great way to have some money when you move out. But the answer to this question is less financial and more um, sociological. <laughs> What's it like to be newly married and living in your in-laws house? I, I don't know. Um, 
interestingly enough, this, this actually was a question that was posed to me when we first got married, my wife and I, years ago. Um, her parents offered to uh, let us stay downstairs for a while, and we, we passed. We, we went and stayed in an apartment. It was like $600 a month for the apartment. We had a great time in, the, in that little apartment, but um, we could have saved a lot of money. Could have saved a lot of money. So you're going to balance lifestyle issues, those kind of sociological issues, against the desire, the need, almost, if you will, to put together money. You're going to have to weigh those two against each other and, and decide what you want, what you guys want to do. All right, one more. All right, so we have one from Antoine. Antoine says, Dave, I just went to a car dealership to check out a pair of new wheels. The salesman said that everybody spends at least 300 a month on a car payment. Is this true? Also, any car that I really like would require a payment of five to 600. What gives? Antoine. Well, of course, a salesman is going to tell you that everyone's paying 300 a month. The, the person's a salesman. What's their job? To you, for you to walk off with a key. So Antoine, first of all, you got to think about that and, and think about that in, in context. I don't think people have to pay 300 a month for a car. How about this? How about something radical? Nothing, nothing. Buy a car with some money that you saved up. Buy a car with cash and drive that around. It's so nice, so nice not to have that car payment. So um, consider that, consider that. Buy an old beater car for a while and save some money up. And then when you go to buy that next nicer car, you've got cash and you can get a better deal because you got cash. You got money on the barrelhead. You don't have to go to the DMV and fool around with, well, my financing's coming through and this and that. You say, look, I'll write you a check or I'll, I'll hand you a bunch of bills. I want that car right there right now. You'd be surprised um, how nice it is to be in that negotiating position when you're getting a car. So I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't necessarily let anyone talk me into 300 a month. Now, the price of cars is the other part of your question, and I think that it's crazy. The other day, I dropped my car off for an oil change, and I was walking through the lot, and it was a Ford dealership, and I saw some expeditions and, and a navigator, and I kind of peeked into the window as I was walking by, and I'm telling you, these are exquisite cars. These are wonderful. The inside is so clean and new and wood burl and the nice new steering wheel and all the latest electronics. I mean, I immediately, I immediately wanted the Navigator. It was exquisite. And I highly recommend picking one up unless you have to pay for it. Because then I looked at the, I looked at the sticker on the window. It was $82,000. It's that much now? $82,000 for a glorified truck. Who does that? Who buys these cars brand new? I mean, think of all the other cars that you could get for $82,000. I mean, some, there's some really nice cars out there for $82,000. Think about what the monthly payment would be on $82,000. That would be like $1,400, Who does that? I mean, maybe someone that's making three or $400,000 a year, but who does that? And you drive that vehicle off the lot, and eighty-two thousand is now worth sixty, sixty-five thousand. And two years from now, that eighty-two thousand-dollar car is worth forty thousand. And you're still paying the payment on the full price when it was new. I don't know. I don't think that that's a that's a good idea. I don't know who's buying that many cars at that price, but yet 
you know, you see the you, you see the auto truck pull up and it empties and they put it on the lot and the next week another one shows up. So they're moving these cars. I just can't imagine who's dealing with this burden of these payments every month. Unless I guess someone's just wealthy and they've got unlimited cash and they're writing a check for 82,000 bucks. But I got to tell you, I can think of a lot better things to do for a check for $82,000. Wow. Wow. So I hope that helps. I hope that gives you some perspective. Don't let someone talk you into payments. Don't let someone talk you into 300 or 1200 or 1400. Think about other ways to deal with that. Think about older cars that are eccentric, that look cool. You know, a really cool car, a Porsche 914. Now that was that really little flat car with the removable roof, a two-seater. That is a, that was a cool car. They haven't made in a lot of years. You pick those up for three, four, five thousand dollars. They have a VW engine in the back, a lot of them, but they look really cool. You can fix it up, drive it around, you get a lot of looks that way. You don't have to spend a hundred thousand dollars to get noticed. So I don't know. I think about other ways to meet that need or that series of needs that you have or things that you want to get accomplished by owning that car. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't get into payments if, if you can help it. Never borrow money on a depreciating asset. Hope that helps. I hope that helps. All right. We got time for one more? No, I think we're done, Dave. All right. All right. Hey, tune in next week, everybody. Next week, we're going to talk about putting money into a retirement account. We're going to talk about IRAs, Roth IRAs, 401ks, pension, profit sharing, that kind of stuff. We're going to talk about why it's so important to put some money in those accounts, because I don't know about you, but I'm not holding my breath for Social Security somewhere down the line. So stay tuned next week. This is Dave Hagan, and you've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on the road to financial success. If you'd like Dave to answer any of your questions, email them to dave at davidrhagan.com. Until next week, this is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.